Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession in life to teach you how to be a more productive version of you. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to sign up for my free seven-day productivity challenge. Give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you simple, easily implementable strategies and how you can become more productive. Jump on the seven-day productivity challenge by going to my website, mrproductivity.com. Mr. is all spelled out, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. The seven-day productivity challenge is waiting for you right now. Now, speaking of now, we are going to be talking about sleep, but I promise you, my guest today, Molly McLaughlin, and I are both high-energy people, and there's no way you're going to fall asleep during this episode. But you will certainly learn a lot, so let's get right to it. Molly, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I am super excited you're here, and I'll tell you why. Listen, I want to give you a little inside baseball here, even though I hate the sport of baseball. When I send out the link for guests to get on my show, one of the questions I ask them are special notes. Is there anything you want me to know, specific date range to release or whatever? And... Molly wrote just a note to say I'm excited and grateful. I mean, she's the first person ever did that. So Molly, I want you to know I'm real. That really touched my heart. Oh, well, I'm so happy to hear that. And it's, and it's true. I really, and I admire what you've created and just your consistency in your release of these episodes is not to be understated. So I really, I appreciate the time. And we recorded this yesterday, folks. You listened to this on March 5th, if you listen to it the day it comes out. And I want to give you another inside baseball that it's now one fourteen in the afternoon. We were supposed to record 15 minutes ago, but we just started talking. I'm like, you know what, Molly, maybe we should start re- record. And so just to let you know what's going to be seen. That's one of the bad things I do with my podcast. I get so into my guests. I'm like, oh, we I have know. to record a podcast here, don't we? <laughs> oh, right. Yes, exactly. I know. That's how it goes. And, and it was a great sign too. So um, I've loved all of our interactions, you know, leading up to today. And I, I had a feeling it would go that way, you know? <laughs> Now, we are going to talk about sleep on the show, but I promise you, Molly's high energy, I'm high energy, you won't be falling asleep. So, Molly, take about 20 or 25 seconds and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Molly McLaughlin. I own a company called Sleep is a Skill, and I help optimize sleep for people through utilizing technology, accountability, and behavioral change. And by doing that, basically, I'm making the argument that in our modern day society, sleep has really become a skill set. And through that, then we look to if like any skill where, you know, starting at the beginning, you know, sleep 101 and really relearning what we often thought we knew in the realm of sleep. Um, that it turns out many of us are not as cognizant of what could really move the needle in both our quantity and quality of sleep. I've shared with you and with other listeners that when I first got into this wonderful world of productivity, I thought it was just calendar apps, to-do lists, and journals and notes. And now I realize sleep is a really big component of it. I read Arianne Huffington's The Sleep Revolution, and then we have Michael, uh, Michael, Matthew Walker's uh, Uh Why We Sleep.
sleep, which really blew my mind. We're going to talk a little bit about melatonin. Um, folks, you don't know the truth about melatonin, okay? It's going to blow your mind. Actually, let's jump right in there. Uh, let's let's talk about melatonin because everybody thinks that melatonin, if you can't get to sleep, well, just take some melatonin, but that's not true, right? That's exactly right. And it's really um, even just that point alone, so I'm so glad you led with that, is something that can make a huge difference for people because it's likely that just about every listener has seen somewhere on the shelves. I've even taken like funny pictures of the sleep, um, you know, from sleep kind of a shelves, right? If you go Mm -hmm. to a local pharmacy or what have you, it's just littered with all of these different sleep over the counter products. And many of them are chock full of melatonin and for kids too. So, you know, we really have come to a place where, um, and I don't want to make people wrong for doing that. I certainly was one of those people that thought, oh, it's it's healthy for so many years, you know, before I went through my own period in going through um, uh, insomnia for a period of time. And that's really what sparked this whole journey around sleep. Um, so I don't want to make people wrong around that. But to step, set the record straight, uh, melatonin is really a hormone that is responsible for your overarching sleep wake cycle. And so I think when we start, when we shift the paradigm to say that it's a hormone, then we start to maybe take a little more seriously the fact that we're, you know, bringing in something that's we're thinking is going to be like hormone replacement therapy. Um, and yet it's not having that impact in the way that people anticipate. So instead to, produce the level of um, persistent and uh, a rich supply of self-created melatonin, what it really takes is being connected to um, a co-name for melatonin, which for many years, it was known as the hormone of darkness. So if you want to, on your own, really improve your levels of melatonin, you have to shift, you have to do a number of things. But one of the big ones is get connected to your light and dark cycles, and really cultivate um, and get connected to and okay with being in a darker environment than the average um, the average person, especially in a Western society, is usually used to in their evenings. And people don't necessarily realize the impact that that can make on the quality and quantity of your melatonin supply and that the consistent times that you want to um, activate that. I think technology is a blessing and a curse, but... Yeah. It's a curse when we're using our screens all the way up until lights out. And so what I have done, I have recently, about a month ago, became a member of the 5 a.m. club. I read uh, Robin Sharman's book. And of course, those of you listening to my podcast know that the first couple of days are really hard because... I wanted to go to bed at 9.30. My body goes, dude, we got another hour and a half to go yet. And so I went to bed at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, woke up at 5. But now I'm at this rhythm in the bed at 9.30, get up at 5. It's great getting seven to seven and a half hours sleep at night. But let's talk about consistency because you, if you talk to anybody who's a sleep expert, and I'm sure you're going to concur with this, you can't like get good sleep during the week and then stay up all night on the weekend and sleep in the noon. You, it's consistent. The body lays consistency. So get up at five o'clock in the morning, seven days a week, go to bed, nine 30, nine o'clock, whatever. Get that consistency. The body likes a rhythm. The body likes consistency. Is that correct? Oh, so it's the overarching, um, kind of the umbrella topic for this whole area of sleep. So, you know, with sleep as a skill, we're really about, uh, optimizing for circadian rhythm entrainment, which is a whole series of things that you can do to strengthen your circadian rhythm. And within that, the, you can't even have that conversation if you're not willing to understand this overarching umbrella of consistency. Because 
as um, you know, as the nature of any sort of rhythm is that as a rhythm, we're looking to have account ownableness to the rise and the flow of it. And if you are deviating from that regular times throughout the week, which is very, very um, ordinary or, you know, common is that you'll see, you know, four or five days a week, someone goes to bed at, you know, their nine o'clock bedtime, what have you. And then Thursday comes or Friday comes or whatever. And then suddenly they're going to bed at 12, one, two. And what we see about that is that creates something called social jet lag. And with social jet lag, essentially what you're dealing with is then, um, you've created those same experiences that people, you know, get upset about when they travel multiple time zones. You're doing that every single week for yourself. And that also spans, um, it also encompasses metabolic jet lag, which is now you've also likely thrown off your uh, eat cycle. So your eating and feeding windows get, you know, shifted out as well. So all of those things then confuse the circadian rhythm and its own balance. And then you're spending multiple days trying to restore a level of homeostasis. So you're never quite at that peak level that you could be, and particularly when we're talking about the conversation of productivity, oh my God, the f- <laughs> once you get this kind of handled, it really can feel like you have some sort of like unfair advantage or like superhuman powers when you are able to know yourself as someone that can consistently wake up with the levels of energy to take on all the things that you've got on your plate. It So, you know, I, I didn't share too much about my story, but essentially for me, I've spent so me- much of my adult life um, doing the opposite of everything I'm talking about right now. Like for so many years, I thought that that was okay. I was a, you know, um, a, a big time night owl and go to bed, you know, as the sun was rising and did that for a bunch of years an entrepreneur until it just didn't work. And I went through a period of um, insomnia when I started adding jet lag into the mix and traveling. And it was such a wake up call for me. And prior, you know, going leading up to that, I just, I had no clue. I remember one time, I'd woken up after about I'd slept in and had got like 10 hours of sleep, which, you know, none of these things are recommended to do. And I felt so good. And I really, I had this moment of sitting there and being like, how could I, why can't I do this? Like regularly, why can't I feel like this all the time? And at that point in my life, this was years back, I was, I could count on like, you know, two hands, maybe the times in my life that I could remember feeling that good. And it just felt like this real confusion of how to get that. And so now flash forward to the other side of it where I literally spend my days, I talk about nothing really but sleep all day long. (laughs) Um, It's just such a different reality. So now I know the things to do to bring about great sleep consistently and quantifiably so that you can, you know, measure it. Um, And to do that with, you know, clients and people that are coming to us, it's just so rewarding. And it's the, I'm convinced it is the thing to take productivity to the next level. Now, the experts are all in agreement, seven to nine hours of sleep every single night. Obviously, you're going to have issues like a, several weeks ago, I had a family emergency. I didn't get to bed till three o'clock in the morning. Those are going to be the outliers. But speak to the person who's listening to the show and goes, Molly, I only need four or five hours sleep. I That's who I am. That's who I am. I, I don't need all the sleep. Talk to that person. Yes. Oh, so well said. So that person I, I empathize with because um, often you think you are not only are you um, you've been experiencing that you could manage life or you have you think that life is working out great by having you know four to five hours of sleep a night um, and and maybe even that that's uh, cultivating a stronger mindset or you know psychology to be able to navigate life at those lower hours of sleep um, unfortunately, 
what we are finding out is that there's some really sweeping, you know, pretty um, impressive studies that link up um, really profoundly the clear um, connection between sleep deprivation and just for what of all the things that it can do to impact your body. But um, the real ones that's getting a lot of press right now are your neurological impact. So it's a lot of these neurodegenerative illnesses um, that can be connected to the sleep deprivation. And we're talking about things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, that now that we have a sense of, you know, we can put two brains side by side and brain imaging of looking at a chronically sleep deprived person and a person with late stage Alzheimer's. And some of the correlation is really profound, how, how much you can see a similarity. And what we're looking at is the culmination of something called amyloid beta plaque. So essentially within your brain, when you are not giving yourself the uh, allotted or a significant and sufficient amount of sleep each night. Unfortunately, then what one of the impacts is that you're not being able to clean out your brain in the way that will make a difference to mitigate that, um, you know, that kind of processing of that, those accumulation of beta uh, plaques that we're dealing with. So that is just one impact that could <laughs> happen. I, don't, I literally like I could keep going on all the other things. But that is just one very strong one that I've been seeing enough for people to be like, all right, I Seeing that, I don't want to have my life go in that direction with something that I could have made a difference in and avoided, and then they get responsible about that. Yeah, and it's really shocking when people say, oh, a real man doesn't need a lot of sleep. But we're right. we're talking science here. We're not talking about yes. this isn't Molly's opinion or Mark's opinion. Right. We're talking about neuroscientists have done study upon study upon study. You need seven to nine hours sleep consistently. But what's interesting, I thought was really interesting in Dr. Walker's book, was if you get too much sleep, you can actually have problems too. I never knew that, that too much sleep yes. could have negative effects as well. Talk to us about that. Why is that the case? Yeah. So the basically, and you know, you can almost bring it to analogy of just about anything, either too, too much or too little of, of many things can be a problem. Um, and that's one of the things that we happen to find in the world of sleep too, because all that we're looking to do is, um, cultivate a strong sleep architecture. And with the sleep architecture, what uh, kind of a, a healthy, well-functioning person that gets consistent, you know, and sufficient sleep each night, they often have this really beautiful looking architecture where it's count onable for the most part, where in the beginning phase of the night, they're getting a certain amount of deep sleep. Um, and there's theories around why that deep sleep or slow wave sleep is kind of... Um, grouped first and it seems to be a particularly important stage that we go through. So that goes first. And then you go over into um, often moving into more heavy in the REM sleep. And that is another, there's a bunch of other theories as to why it goes into that. But, you know, one of them could be that it is helping prepare us for the day as we're kind of like bringing our brain back online um, and kind of, you know, bringing more of an alert system going on um, into the brain to prepare us for this future day. But if you are extending this out. Um, often what we're seeing is unfortunately then the sleep architecture is not as, you know, beautiful looking. Um, there's inconsistencies or there's a lot more light sleep, heavy sleep, but it could be, um, you know, just it's not setting ourselves up powerfully to then have a sense of rest and rejuvenation the next day. And 
often um, when we do hear of people that have those extended um, sleep cycles, there might be something else going on on a physiological standpoint, you know, things um, that often get uncovered when you dig deeper, you know, thyroid disturbances, um, certain problems, you know, on a biophysical level. And that's really what you want to delve into to, to restore balance with that. One of the things I struggle with is when I'm overtired. And so my wife and I have a very unusual sleep arrangement. Um, she sleeps in another bedroom. And the reason why is because she snores. And when she yep. starts to snore and I know she's asleep, now I start getting very anxious because now I can't fall asleep. And of course, the anxiety becomes like a domino effect. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So we try to mitigate that where she sleeps in another bedroom, I sleep in our bedroom. But the problem is, is when you recognize you're having trouble sleeping, and I'd like to know your thoughts on this, is you shouldn't go toss and turn and complain. Get up, go read a print book and don't get on your phones. But get a make sure your light, the lamp you're reading by, is not one of those sunlight uh, bulbs. I made the mistake about a whole bunch of light bulbs on Amazon. Didn't realize that if you buy the sunlight tone, that's not good because then your brain goes, "Hey, it's time to wake up." So you have to get right? like the soft yellowish, just to know so you can read from the writing, but or from the from the print. But I found out for me that I got to be really careful spinning out of control if I can't sleep because I'm like, oh my gosh. Then I start checking my watch. So what I do, I wear my Apple watch to bed. I put it on theater mode so I can't look at the time because that's another thing. If you can't get to sleep, now you're more awake. Now you look at your, your watch and now it's 1230, one o'clock. And then it makes it even worse. So talk a little about the anxiety of being overtired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the anxiety of being overtired for sure is real. Um, and there's a, a number of studies that they've looked at, you know, some of the, the impacts of, um, you know, that chronic state of being overtired and how that impacts just on even on a psychological standpoint and can raise those rates of anxiety. Um, so, so that is just that's just pretty quantifiable from what we understand right now. So it's something you really want to be mindful of. And I think you made a bunch of great points um, uh, in there because number one, I love that you're getting connected to the power and really respect um, and responsibility around what type of lights um, that we're bringing into our environments at different times. So one of the key things with circadian rhythm entrainment is respecting the fact that light is one of the most crucial things that we can kind of get connected to to get our light environment right. And it can seem so, I don't know about you, but certainly the me of many years ago might have heard this and been like, oh, come on, like lights, you know, I can still sleep, <laughs> some lights. Like, I, you know, just trying to, you know, be real. And so for me, I might have just had so blown past the um, the paramount or like the, the sense of urgency around this topic. And so the reason I pull this back is that... Um, you know, while you might be able to fall asleep, even with, you could be someone that's one of those people that, you know, they stare at their phone right before they go to bed, they've got the lights on, they got all the things and they're, oh, I, I sleep fine. But if we were to really look at your sleep quality in a level um, where we can measure it pretty reliably, especially if we bring in at least um, some sort of uh, EEG readouts, um, we can see that there is often a very real impact when we have, um, particularly as to your point, high levels of blue light and green light exposed, um, you know, to our bodies before bed and in the lead up for that. So part of the reason that we want to get really way more well-versed in light than many of us are is that 
we are kind of swimming in the society where, you know, we're used to extending the, the length of our days and we think that this is normal, you know, so the sun, um, the past, the sun would set for thousands of years as hunter gatherers. Um, you know, that was all, that was everyone's cue that it was time to start winding down yes. and, you know, party's really over and that's how it was going. Maybe you have a bonfire or something and, you know, kind of peter out a little bit longer, but that was about it. Now we have um, extended the length of our days to such degree through really nothing more um, than the light. So the light has allowed us to really deviate from a lot of the normal rhythms of nature. So getting responsible for that, because in the span of, you know, sapiens, really, we've only seen this behavior for since Edison. Um, So if that's the case, then we want to get our light right. And we also want to use it as a real dosage um, in in managing our cortisol and melatonin production. So some of the ways that you can do that is by starting your day, uh, getting outside and getting full spectrum light because that's going to give you, you know, the lux output of the sunlight is going to be infinitely more than anything you can get inside. Um, So ideally, you want to do that, but you want to do that first thing as soon as you can um, for at least around 20 minutes if possible. And the reason we do that is that that sets uh, your master clock within your brain, um, your suprachiasmatic nucleus, and that helps um, to maintain a sense of equilibrium and it actually shuts off the production. Um, you know, if, if your hormones are kind of out of whack and you're still kind of producing melatonin in the morning, which some people are, that's why they're so dragging. They're like, why can't I get up? <laughs> uh, because there's still really, there's still an imbalance of too much melatonin when it should be su- switching over to cortisol. So, if you get that light and consistently that can help train your body to shut off that melatonin earlier, um, build up that cortisol in the day, which we actually want to, you know, it's like natural coffee kind of. Um, so you, so you get that in the day, but then in the evenings, you really get your light environment right so that you can shift over to these, um, more red based lights. So, you know, you really want to be cognizant and aware of once you start seeing all those LED lights that are everywhere, um, you know, really taking a step back from those because those are the things that will uh, deviate and bring you off from that production of melatonin in the way that you want. One of the things I learned from Robin Sharma's book, The 5am Club, which I highly recommend to everyone, it's written in terms of a parable, is the first thing you should do when you wake up in the morning other than the bio break is you should exercise, like break a sweat in the first 20 minutes. And the reason why is what you just talked about. You want to get rid of that cortisol. And a lot of people, they get up and they lay in bed and they cuddle up with their significant other and they pet the dog. No, you got to get that heart rate going first thing in the morning. And since I started doing it, I'm sleeping better at night because I'm purging the cortisol first thing in the morning, going through my day. I will have a hard rule nine o'clock, well, on Sunday nights, I watch The Walking Dead, so sometimes it goes to five <laughs> after. But as soon as it's over, yes. no more screens. I go in uh, the um, in my bedroom, and I read a book for sometimes only 10 minutes, and my body goes sure. ready. And I remember one time I had really difficult time falling asleep, and my wife, she's brilliant. She goes, okay, you had trouble sleeping the last couple of nights. What are you doing different? Like, I don't know. I was, I was really angry at this time. And she goes, are you are you reading before bed? And I'm like, no. She goes, um that's your sign. Your body knows that when you're reading a book and she's not a science, she's not a sleep expert. She goes, try it. And sure enough, the next night I started reading. It's like my body knows, okay, he's reading a book. Now it's time to shut shut down. But those nights when I skip that, my body goes, uh, we're missing something here. 
Yes. Oh, it's Pavlovian. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, we start linking up these things. And, you know, we do that for sleep training for, you know, newborns and, and for kids. Um, and that sleep training is, you know, people take it super seriously. I'm not a parent. So, you know, I, I hands, I totally applaud all the work that parents have to do to, you know, to train their, their kids to be on a regular schedule. But then we forget that we very much, you know, um, our, our bodies are craving that sort of same, um, you know, relationship and count onableness for our schedule and the way that kids do. We kind of, we really do need the same thing. <laughs> Let's talk about <laughs> sleep tracking um, because you know, I'm 54 years young. And when I was growing yes. up, there was no technology. There was no smartphones. And what I use now, I use an app called AutoSleep um, for my Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. I think I love it yep. is it's because it's AutoSleep. You don't have to push any buttons. You go to sleep. It knows uh, when you fall asleep. And what's amazing is so yes. many people go, oh, I'm getting enough sleep. I'm like, how do you know? Well, I just know. Do you mm-hmm. have data? Now, I can't go to a sleep yes. center. I, don't, I, could, I wouldn't sleep at all if I went to a sleep center knowing that people are looking at me and monitoring everything. But in today's modern society, you can use these apps. You don't have to have a watch. You can use it on your phone. There's technology out there. Now, it's not as good as going to a sleep center, but at least you're going to have a general idea how you're sleeping. I think most people are telling themselves stories, but they don't know the truth. Yep. Oh, 100%. It's so wild once we get people fitted with some of these um, because they, so for instance, um, just about everyone I work with starts with the aura ring spelled O-U-R-A. And that one's great because it's, you know, it's just a ring and it's very passive um, to your point. Same in auto sleeps, another great one too. Um, you know, so these different ways that you can bring in some data and actually make a difference with kind of demystifying this world of sleep because many of us um, have a real sense of fogginess around exactly how much sleep that we are getting consistently because, you know, it's a kind of subjective measurement and often we don't really know um, the real reality. And then also when you pair it with some of the um, things that can come along with it. So for instance, the aura ring, you can see uh, your body temperature. You can see, which is actually really interesting for women because, uh, you know, um, women that before menopause, they'll often have, you know, you'll see these cycles throughout the throughout the months of different temperature changes. So you can, you know, manage that. Um, and as it relates to your sleep, because often that will impact your sleep at different periods. Um, then you can also measure your respiratory rate and you can get a sense of your breathing throughout your night. And some people have been able to spot signs of sleep apnea through just looking at that one measurement alone. Um, then furthermore, you can get a sense of HRV, which is one of my favorite metrics to look at for people for just a real um, fantastic kind of sense of their connection to this is a really it's called heart rate variability um, but it's basically a, a cue as to how your nervous system is functioning it's connected you know to the for the vagus nerve um, and what you'll see on that one is when people are really stressed out um, you know maybe they're drinking too much they're you know they're they're the management of their daily lives are skewed in a way that is having them get some subpar readouts. Then we can kind of bring in more sense of recovery and optimize for bringing that back. There's heart rate um, that you can also bring into that. And of course, auto sleep is great too with pulling those metrics in there. Um, So you get all of those and then you also get this kind of like beautiful readouts around your trends where you get to see when you are deviating from your baseline a bit more than average. And then for me on my side, I get to have um, kind of the 
uh, other side of the platform where everyone that I'm working with, I get to see kind of like an ESPN readout of their sleep and get to see if they're deviating from um, their norm, either in a great way, like they've really, you know, taken their sleep seriously. And now they're making a big difference. We can applaud them or, you know, things have kind of dipped and whatever. They got people over or something's going on. So we got to course correct um, in a way to make a difference. So just those alone. And also to have a sense of um, when you are bringing it into this kind of new paradigm of, uh, you know, this is a skill, then particularly if we are also having that sense of the observer effect, either just with ourself of, you know, getting to see these numbers in black and white and kind of that quantified self movement. And or if you are pairing up and doing something like sleep is a skill where you have the sense that another person is there with you with your measurements, often just the awareness level alone will get people to make a difference and change their behavior uh, to better their sleep. Now, do you wear an Apple Watch? Uh, yes, I do have an Apple Watch. However, um, I have been playing with... Um, so there's an element to me too around... Because I've got so many different gadgets, right? Around sleep. <laughs> it's ridiculous. My boyfriend will just be like, oh my God, it's like a cyborg going to you know, sleep next to him every night. I've got things glowing and all the things. Um, so I have been playing with, um, you know, kind of stripping down some of them at different points, you know, also, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's, uh, thoughts around too the EMF readout. So do you want to be having kind of things just running on your, on your person all throughout the night and how that can impact your health and well-being? So, so I'm kind of more sporadic with that one. Um, have you been using that one a lot for your sleep? Well, I have, and I have a question for you. So what I do is I charge my Apple watch up before I go to bed so it can track my sleep, but I, I have my Apple watch set. So if my heart rate drops below 40 beats per minute, then it gives me a little readout on my screen. And I noticed that it's between six and 10 times a night. Do you think that that's when I'm in really deep sleep when I'm, my heart rate lowers like that? Yeah. Okay. So that's a really good call. And of course that makes sense. Cause if you're managing, um, if you're tracking your sleep with your auto sleep app, um, they do a great job too at showing those deviations uh, in your heart rate. So what they usually find is that when you are at those lowest states that is often during that slow wave sleep and, you know, hence the name, it's just everything sort of slowing down. Um, and so that is often when you will find your lowest, um, some of your lowest readouts of your heart rate and for heart rate, you're really looking to kind of have this hammock shape throughout the night. Um, so you're looking to have it kind of go down shortly after you go to sleep and then you actually do want it to rise a bit into the morning hours. And, um, often we see that with REM sleep because like we were kind of alluding to earlier, REM sleep tends to be in the early morning hours. And that's actually when your body temperature is starting to rise a bit. Um, and that's when your heart rate is also in alignment, often going up a bit during that time. Um, unfortunately, what can happen for many people is that because of certain behaviors that we might not be cognizant of, um, that are impacting our sleep, then that hammock shape can get all thrown off. So say you have a big meal before bed, um, that can be one way that then you'll see your heart rate numbers totally just like what, like looks like a different person than maybe your normal sleep because um, then your body is having to deal with the digestion process, which we kind of often take for granted and forget how taxing that is on the body. And it's doing that when it's meant to be dealing with other things, um, you know, for the cleanup process, it's meant to happen during sleep. So uh, what you're seeing there is then sometimes your heart rate can move out and then it's only reaching its lowest point right before you wake up. And that's when people feel really groggy. Um, 
So this is like one example of how much some of the behaviors that we participate in can be impacting how we feel the next morning. And, you know, so back to your question, it's likely that that is during that um, slow wave sleep when you are getting those lowest readouts. And that's so important that you're looking at those things. Um, Cause then when you start seeing things move out or if you start to notice that, Oh my God, that's interesting. It's now I'm getting that lowest readout later in the night. Um, that's a great sign that, okay, maybe I want to shift some of the things I'm doing, you know, few hours before bed. Now you got me looking at my auto sleep app here on, on my iPhone. I'm like, oh my gosh, you can, get, you can go down a rabbit hole really quickly yes. and comparing day to day. Oh yeah, so. totally. Yeah, exactly. You really can. I know. And then, you know, it gets you, um, certainly it has the potential to get you really addicted to just feeling great. Once you start cracking the code on, oh my God, if I eat, you know, much earlier in the, in the evening, kind of adopting more, I'm like advocating for people to be kind of like early bird special, you know, like kind of the, uh, the, the way the post like retirement, you know, group will partake in their eating habits, doing that for all of us. So eating as early as we possibly can, um, to then allow our bodies to shift over and then, um, cultivate some of this, really rich and deep sleep, it can make such, such a difference in our readouts. Um, You know, and then of course it goes to some of the just very obvious ones, but like, so for instance, like drinking before bed, you know, people might even be like, Oh, just a couple of glasses of wine, no big deal. But when you have trackers like this, you will see the difference. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a bummer. Honestly, it really is. Well, I'll um, tell you for me, uh, I know a lot of people say, Oh, don't eat a couple hours before bed. I cannot eat. I cannot sleep when I'm hungry. And so what I try to do uh-huh. is I try to have something like a, a protein bar or a protein shake yep. because if if I wake up and I'm hungry, I'm hitting that I'm hitting that um, refrigerator or the pantry because I cannot sleep if my stomach's growling. But it's interesting when I look at the auto sleep and I was when you're talking there, I was looking at my readings. I could tell when I d- got up and did the bio break thing. <laughs> it yes. spikes up to wake. It's like <laughs> totally. okay, fell back asleep. <laughs> uh-huh. It's so true. It's so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I hear you on the on the food thing um and that can be actually something that um one it's it's it is different for different people so certain people that have um you know blood glucose regulation um concerns so you want to be mindful of that there's a lot of things that go into this you can't just have like a blanket thing for each person right um but largely one of the things that the body is set up to do is as you go down this process of strengthening your circadian rhythm um the intention for our hormonal regulation system is that in the evenings that leptin and ghrelin will um, work in tandem to kind of subside uh, more in the evening. If you start bringing in this consistency over a long period of time, it takes a while. Um, but what like what is likely to happen, and this is by kind of design is that if you think back, if we go back to the hunter gatherer example, um, Post sunset, it's dark, and now the, your ability to really go out and hunt and you know get some sort of you know food like that your food reserves are now uh, not as available post sunset because it's dark and where are you going to get them? There's no refrigeration. It's that's just kind of how it is. So most people for thousands of years were not eating during the nighttime hours, um, and what this has brought about is this idea of circadian rhythm intermittent fasting. Um, and so it's just like a fancy way of saying that you're, tr- you're aiming to eat most of your, uh, food within the realm of sunrise and sunset. And so with that, the, you know, there's even apps like zero is one app that, um, 
you can track this with and they'll even geotag you based on where you are in the world uh, to see to almost gamify it. So it can be like, oh, shoot, like a couple, you know, three days out of last week, you ate outside of like the sunset time. Uh, so like, let's try to bring it back and whatever, you know, so it makes it like a fun game. Um, and what you'll see is that often it takes a little bit of time to kind of bring these, uh, these hormones back into alignment, but usually that your body is trying to help you with like lowering your urge for, you know, the, the hunger signs. And often if people are having those like midnight snacks, um, it can be a good sign that their circadian rhythm, you know, might be a little out of whack, um, because ideally we're set up so that you don't have to be distracted by that so that you can, you know, get great sleep. Well, I'm not like obese. I mean, I run every day two to three miles. <laughs> and so I'm pretty much in shape as I love uh, to, uh, I love to have the feeling that I have food in my belly and I, and I don't eat yes. cookies and ice cream and all that. I mean, I eat like protein stuff, which is interesting. Yes. One final question before I let you go. Let's talk a little bit about naps because one of the things he, uh, Dr. Walker talked about in his book, naps are all fine. Be done before three o'clock. Now for me, because I get to go to bed at 930, I, I know my naps can be done by one o'clock, but naps also can't be like four hours. So talk to us for a few minutes right. about naps. Yeah. So um, that's really great too, that you are, is often when we get these recommendations, you know, so don't have coffee after X time, don't have a nap after X time, but we have to remember that these are not like cardinal rules to, to your point, it depends on our lifestyle. So if, you know, if you're going to bed much earlier, you want to be mindful of, you know, when you're stopping your coffee, when you're stopping, you know, kind of some of these naps and what Or if you're like you. me, all I do is drink water for like, like six months in a row. So I don't have to worry about the caffeine. Yes. Oh my God. Natural, <laughs> natural uh, drive from within. That is amazing. Yes. I love that. Yes. So that is awesome. So with the naps, um, because, and actually part of the reason I'm mentioning that coffee thing is those two elements. So naps and coffee are one of the two things that can take a hit onto something called, um, your adenosine. So your adenosine, you can almost think of as like a giant hourglass every day. It fills up with the sand and the sand is adenosine and it's just like clockwork. You know, you wake up and that the beginning sands are dropping through the hourglass, right? And they fill up. And then the design is that by the end of the day, then it's reached the peak of the sand. And now you're experiencing sleep pressure and your body's like, okay, we're tired here. Like all systems are pointing to it's time to go to bed. Now, the only way to kind of block that, um, you know, that sense of the adenosine pressure is really not only way, but some of the ways are that we often partake in are caffeine and naps. So both of those things can um, really, it can almost hit that hourglass and, you know, block it in a way so that you are not sensing, oh my God, I have so, I've had this mounting sleep pressure. Both of those things are really good at kind of wiping out some of that sand in the hourglass. Um, and naps will genuinely wipe some of that out and caffeine will artificially wipe it out. So caffeine will block the adenosine receptors. So you're not cognizant of how much is there. Um, whereas naps will like actually remove some of that adenosine. So then by the time you get to your bedtime, if it's too close, then you're just, I'm just not tired. And then, then you, then you're yeah. in a mess. Because it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, exactly. You know how that goes. Exactly. 
So yeah, you want to be really mindful of those naps. And then if you are taking them, um, then great, but you know, making sure that they are earlier in your day and, um, you know, take your lead in being aware of what time your bedtime is and making sure that it's not too close to those hours and that you are often, um, largely, bearing on the side of kind of the power naps, you know, within like the 20 minute sector to get just a sense of kind of a refresh state, um, you know, or if you're dealing with sickness, there's, you know, there's a different protocol for that. But Right. Yeah, and what I do mindful. is when I go take a nap, I always set my Apple watch alarm. Don't yes. just don't go sleeping open-ended because then you may sleep yeah. for three hours. So I, what I do is I go in the bed and if I'm going to take a nap, I set it for an hour because it takes you like 10, 15 minutes to fall asleep anyways. And then that works out fine to me, but always set an alarm. Do not yeah. say, Oh, Saturday. Yeah. You'll sleep for four hours and then you won't be able to sleep tonight. And like we said earlier, it becomes a big vicious cycle. Well, Molly, this yes. has been so much fun. Oh, uh, you, yes. you, you gave us so much to think about. And folks, like I tell you, every episode, there's a lot here. Just pick one area you need to get big at or get better at. I don't care what it is. Pick what it is and just build on that. Don't don't get overwhelmed with everything Molly talked about. Just pick one thing that resonated with you. We probably could have talked for another three hours, uh, but we gave you enough to talk about here. So the final question I have for you, Molly, is where can we find about you online? Oh, yes. Um, so sleepisaskill.com. Uh, now you can sign up for, uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm pretty obsessive personality. And so <laughs> I actually have, <laughs> so I have something called Molly's Monday Obsessions, where every Monday I send out what I'm obsessing over in the world of sleep and wellness. So um, t- very research, uh, resource rich. And so you can sign up for that. You can also take a sleep assessment and you can get, um, so you'll actually get a quick video back around what you filled out. Um, so that's a really fun one. And then we're also releasing the podcast, Sleep is Skill podcast and online course. So lots of opportunity to you know go deeper on this topic. Who knew that talking about sleep could be so invigorating? <laughs> I know, right? Let's take on the day now with all this sleep talk. <laughs> yeah, with you and me, there's no way people fell right? asleep. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic job well done <laughs> well thank you so much for being on the show molly i really appreciate it you indeed are a rock star oh well thank you right back at you i really appreciate the time and you know uh i really had a lot of fun and just before we go please go sign up for the free seven-day productivity challenge All you have to do is give me two minutes a day and I will teach you simple strategies on how you can become more productive. The seven-day productivity challenge available for free at my website. Did I mention it was for free? MrProductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, MrProductivity.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show. And if you would tell two or three of your friends about the show so I can help more people. It would mean the world to me and I mean the world. So thank you again for listening. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.